This is Pastor to Pastor, a podcast of InnoBTS and Level College. Pastor to Pastor is here to help you lay a biblical foundation for your ministry. Well, hello and welcome again to our Pastor to Pastor podcast. We're certainly glad that you're with us and you're listening again today. My name is Adam Hughes, and again, I'm here with my colleague and friend, Charlie Ray. Charlie, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Uh, We've just been enjoying this process. I've enjoyed hearing from some of the questions that uh, some of our listeners have have asked us. uh, One, that's a little encouraging because it just tells us there's somebody out there listening, but also getting to engage through answering questions. Uh, So I'm looking forward to getting into some of the questions that we've had from our listeners today. Yeah, this is fantastic. It's hard to believe that we've come this far and that we're almost really to the end end of this uh, first topic that we're dealing with and the end of the semester here on campus. With that in mind, uh, Charlie did just mention that, uh, remember what we've been dealing with over these last, really, several podcasts, and and the topic we've been focusing on uh, during these months has been the overall idea of what is a pastor. And we started by looking at some specific biblical passages. We moved into looking at some biblical theology, and then we even moved into some very practical issues and then what we've done here as of late is we we just kind of issued a call out on social media in some different ways of what would be some questions after listening that some of our listeners might would like to hear us address in the area of what is a pastor or that that relates to the definition, the office and role of a pastor. And so this is the second one of uh, those Q&A podcasts that we want to look at today. Charlie, there's a couple questions that have come in that I'm going to kind of group together, but then I'm going to kind of separate back out to begin our conversation today. So a couple of the questions that we received that I think are really fair questions are, number one, how do you as a pastor handle a toxic or unhealthy church environment? So just in general, if things in the church aren't biblical, aren't healthy, you 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 uh, get a sense of what's going on, you're able to sense it, you've evaluated it, and you see things aren't just where they need to be within the uh, culture of the church and the church itself. And then a second question that I do think can be related, and I'll try to understand, uh, explain why that we've received is, how do we, presumably as a pastor, handle injustice that has been done to us by a member in the church that we pastor? Now, here are the ways that I think these questions can be related. Perhaps one of the reasons that you might have a, a toxic or unhealthy church environment is because church members or a particular church member is doing or has in the past or currently doing injustice towards the pastor, gossiping about the pastor, saying things about the pastor that's not true. So that actually can create an unhealthy church environment. The other side of that is uh, injustices to the pastor can then lead to the creating of unhealthy church environment. So in, in that way, I do think we can kind of take this question together and talk through this, specifically looking at handling of the injustice. Now, I will say, I think at a later point when we get into uh, other topics about what is the church, I would imagine that these very same concepts about just unhealthy church environment in general will come back up. But from a general standpoint and specifically looking at how do you handle when an injustice has been done to you by a church member of the church? I think that would be a great question to tackle today. 
Yeah. So a couple of thoughts as we as we begin to uh, think through that topic a little bit. Um, and I do think there's a relation. You think sometimes about churches that get the reputation for being, you know, chewing up and spitting out pastors or whatever. So I think the that there's certainly a connection there. Um, I was thinking back through, I'd, I'd written a little while back on our uh, seminary's blog uh, on, on pastors facing rejection. And I think there's a lot of tie-overs uh, there. One of the things that I really didn't realize, and I think probably the first thing that I would say here is, in a sense, I would tell you, if you're a pastor dealing with injustice, the first thing I would say is don't be surprised when that happens. And that may sound like a weird thing to say, but it was kind of eye-opening to me in the sense of, I've mentioned before, I kind of grew up as the shy kid. And so when you're the shy, introverted kid who doesn't say much, you can get by a lot of your life without people really disliking anything about you or what you do or having big issues with, you know, decisions you make or things like that. But one of the things that I think happens is when you when you assume a role as a pastor, that's all kind of out the window. Like if you think you can pastor and never have anybody mistreat you or never have anybody do do you wrong, I think that's just too naive of, a, of an approach. I mean, I think about lots of, of ways that this is handled in Scripture. I think about Acts 20. And Paul telling the Ephesian elders that these people were going to come up from their own number to try to lure the disciples away. I think about uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and the division going on in the church there and the splits over Paul and Apollos and all these different kinds of things. Uh, or even, um, you know, you just think about, uh, you know, Jude is another example of this, of how he wants to, uh, you know, write to them about things, but he has to write about them, you know, about contending for the faith and standing against these false teachers. I think there's an element you know, even as, as Peter would say, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes on you. Again, what, what I don't want to do here is to say to people who are pastoring or looking at going to a new place of service, expect things to be terrible, <laughs> right? I don't want to say that. But what I do want to say is, like, don't be caught off guard. I mean, don't go looking for people to treat you wrong, but just understand that's what you got into. Like you can't pastor for very long without finding yourself in this situation. So I think don't take it as personally as we do sometimes, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And a couple of things that just came to mind when you were talking there, like you said, don't go looking for people to treat you poorly. And also don't think everyone that disagrees with you or ask a question or doesn't immediately jump on board with you is necessarily treating you wrongly. But at the same time, the other side of it is, like you said, don't be surprised by it. You mentioned some specific biblical examples, and I was just going to say something. See if you agree with this on a large scale, biblically speaking, from a biblical theological standpoint. I have a tendency to say sometimes when I'm pastoring and I face something in the church, well, man, you know, the church 50 years ago didn't have to face this or the church 100 years ago or the New Testament church didn't have to face this. That's it's not exactly true. We might have new applications of things, Mm -hmm. but I think to some extent, like if there was there used to be a day when pastors were just respected by people and people within the church just just respected them and followed them. Well, again, you can go back to the Bible and see that that's not always the case. As a matter of fact, it seems to me like there are two biblical principles that go hand in hand that get to what you were just saying. Um, God is always going to have his people and the faithful amongst his people mm-hmm. and the leaders of the faithful amongst his people, even in the Old Testament, right? Even amongst the Old Testament, you know, the Jews mm-hmm. and certainly in the New Testament. And as long as, G- as, as God has... Um, his people and the faithful, uh, faithful among his people and the faithful to lead them, there's always those that will oppose that. Mm-hmm. And even from within the ranks, 
so to speak. It's not always from the outside. It seems like, biblically speaking, there's always that from within the ranks, so to speak, that opposes uh, what God is doing amongst his people and the faithful leading them. I was even thinking about, just strangely enough, as it related to the preaching ministry and what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where we we get that call to preach the word, and then the explanation for why Mm 4, people will not always put up with sound doctrine. I think we have a tendency, the tendency can be to think, well, Paul's talking to Timothy about people from outside the church that are going to attack his teaching. I don't necessarily think that's true. Maybe true to some extent, but I don't think that's what Paul's predominantly talking about there because people outside the church never wanted sound doctrine to begin with. Mm-hmm. This seems to be people that at one point seemed to want sound doctrine or to be a part of sound doctrine, i.e. the church, and now they don't any longer want sound doctrine. Now they're opposing Timothy and his ministry. So all that to say, just, just, that's just confirmation of what you said. Don't be surprised because we see it in God's word. Well, even, even you know, as Jesus' image of, of uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, yes. right? The whole implicit point is there. They're trying to worm their way into the church. And so I think as you think about injustice done to you, um, you know, there is a question that has to be asked there. Is, is this person an enemy or is this a misguided brother? Yeah. And sometimes it takes a little while for that question to be answered, right? Sometimes it takes a little while to see, you know, okay, is this just somebody I have a disagreement with and doesn't like me and he's even gossiping about me, but they're not, you know, somebody who needs to be put out of the church, but they are a faithful brother who needs to repent? Or is this just someone who who is a wolf who's seeking to worm their way into the church? And so, yeah, I think we can tend to idealize uh, past eras. You know, oh, the New Testament church didn't have to deal with this. Well, I mean, read the letters, right? And that'll pretty quickly dispel you of the idea of they didn't have any problems that they had to deal yeah, if with. You right? thought, if, you, if you had a, a false con- construct of utopia, then it quickly <laughs> goes away when you yeah. begin to read the context. And the letter, the context and content of those letters, that's absolutely right. So, so I think in the sense of don't be surprised, we're saying there are a couple of different things. Don't be surprised because you may very well, if you pastor long enough, you probably will have somebody within the church who is actively an opponent, who's seeking to destroy you and maybe even needs to be put out of the church. But the other side of that is, uh, just like you're not perfect, the people you shepherd aren't going to be perfect either. And so sometimes they're just going to mess up and sometimes they're just not going to treat you rightly. And don't be surprised about that because you're going to do the same thing to them. Right. And so, you know, with those, you know, genuine opponents that needs to be handled one way, but with our, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a sense to say, be as patient with them as you would want them to be with you. You're going to wrong them at some point probably. So don't be surprised when they do the same thing to you. Well, good deal. So I think, first of all, your your first principle or point there of, of basically don't be caught off guard, don't be surprised is very helpful. Do you have any other thoughts there that you could share about how to handle this injustice that happens to you from a church member? Yeah, one of the other things I think is very important for us to do is to examine ourselves. So when we receive criticism, when we receive an insult, I mean, this is a pretty broad question. So, I mean, th- this could cover lots of different things to somebody just criticizing how you lead. Uh, to somebody saying bad things about you or gossiping about you, whatever the case may be. But I do think we need to be humble enough as pastors to really look at ourselves and say, um, even if the person is wrong in how they're doing this, is there a point to be made with what they're saying? You know, if if they're criticizing how I'm leading, you know, am I being, you know, 
too much of a, a dictator here, right? Am I not? Am I not leading? But am I lording it over people, as we've talked about before? Um, you know, we talked about in our last podcast about how you know First Corinthians one eight, how knowledge can puff up, but love builds up. You know, am I being arrogant? Um, am I being quick tempered? So I, I do think um, even in the midst of um, of receiving that kind of criticism, I think sometimes we do just need to pause and say. Like, even if this person is being a jerk about it, is there something that I'm doing that needs to be corrected? Um, we, we don't need to forget as much as we're called the disciple people, <laughs> we're still imperfect and we need to to hear that rebuke sometimes. Yeah, I, I think I've shared some of these things before in our podcast. I forget what all I've said. So sometimes maybe our listeners are like, man, I've heard he's got all these cliches and <laughs> he just keeps saying the same things over. So if I've shared this, please forgive me. But I've heard before that a lot of times when people are criticizing, and even if they're doing it the wrong way at the wrong heart, uh, they although they might miss the bullseye, they still are probably hitting the target somewhere. In other words, there there may be an element of truth that you could learn from, even if what they're saying is not exactly true, even if they're doing it the wrong way, and even if they still need to be dealt with, uh, there still could be something you could you could learn from that. One of the things as pastor, and this somewhat relates to what you're saying, but this is just more of a general principle. I never wanted to be afraid of criticism. And certainly constructive criticism. I never wanted to be afraid of even asking others in the church. Now, you got to be careful with this, and I'm going to say there's two sides you have to be careful with it on. But because I know myself well enough and I want to be the best pastor for these people that I can be, I never was afraid to say, I'm going to ask you, you people specifically to evaluate me in this way. And so perhaps maybe if you're hearing criticism, even if it's an injustice and done the wrong way, maybe that is something that you need to be uh, evaluated on. I always say this when I was looking for people to evaluate me. It seems like there was always like three groups of people in the church at least. There's the people that from day one agree with me, and no matter what I I say, they're just going to say, absolutely, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Pastor, you're exactly right because I'm the pastor. Now, in some ways, we thank God for them because (laughs) there's days in which we need them. But with what I'm about to say, that group's not that helpful, and it'll become obvious why in just a moment. And then there's the people that are always mad, that are you know, being being belligerent, being hurtful just for the sake of being hurtful, trying to hurt you because maybe they've been hurt or whatever. They're, just, they're the negative Nellies that are always negative. They never find a positive in anything. They're not helpful, and it's going to become obvious in what I'm going to say in just a moment as well. So those that always agree with you, those that are just negative, and this time, find some time to find sometimes, but those that are in the middle, that will tell you the truth, mm-hmm. but will tell you the truth not just to hurt you. Those are the people that I want to find that actually can be helpful for you to help you evaluate yourself and examine yourself. That's not exactly what you're talking about here, but I do think it relates to say there is some value in that. And certainly if it's on something you're being, you're hearing yourself being critiqued about, it's not a bad thing to stop and listen yeah. and find a way to listen even deeper. Yeah, I think especially as pastors, we cannot receive criticism well. I know I certainly struggle with that sometimes. But the the church member who will come to you and honestly tell yes. you, uh, you need to think about this, is is genuinely a gift from God. They are. Um, and you're right. I mean, some people, and, and here's the thing, those people need, you know, will establish credibility with you over time. And so it's easy to dismiss people like that. But the people who genuinely love you enough to say, Hey, Pastor, you need to think about this, or you might need help in this area. You do need to find a way to treat that as a gift from God. I think, and this is maybe moving on slightly, but I, I was thinking about 
you know, 1 Peter 2 in this context. So 1 Peter says a couple of different things about this, but he talks about conducting yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that if they slander you um, as evildoers, they'll observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. I mean, I kind of think about that sometimes as Peter's saying, if people talk bad about you, it better be for not the right reason, right? They better be wrong in, in what they right. accuse you of. But then he goes on to talk about in, in um, verses 23, uh, he talks about how using the example of Christ, he says, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So interestingly enough, we said, examine yourself. Well, for, for Christ, that was a little bit easier than for us, right? Examine yourself. Did you do anything wrong? <laughs> right. No, we're good. All right. So, so we have to do that part of it. But I, I think it's also helpful to remember when we're dealing with insults that even when the people are wrong, so let's say we examine ourselves and we're right, we do have to be careful and look to that model of Christ who didn't just try to get back at them, right? Who didn't just say, okay, <laughs> you've been proven wrong. I'm coming at you now. But there was even a sense of silence when he was accused. It, it's sort of the concept of letting God sort it out, right? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. I think it's really easy when somebody insults us and they're wrong and they really are doing an injustice to us to get into that mindset of they need to get what's coming to them. And I think it's it's a lot of the it has to be a lot of the work of our of the spirit in our lives, even as a pastor, sometimes to say, "Man, I want to guard the people of the church against this kind of you know gossip, whatever the case may be." But to understand, it's not just about writing our reputation. You know, it's not just about making sure everybody knows we didn't do any wrong thing wrong. Sometimes there's that part of just sitting back and suffering faithfully, um, and entrusting ourselves to God to to make all things right. Yeah, and I will say this along those lines. I think you're exactly right. My my human tendency, my fleshly nature, and I would say most people's is to win. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden you get in a situation, the other person is the enemy, and you've got to beat them. Yeah. And man, when we go down that path, it very seldom, what ends up happening is in the, it, it usually doesn't correct the injustice. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help us in the long run. Guess who? It, it doesn't help even even more so the church body, right? And I have to really fight that as the ultimate goal in this situation. Even if they have to be confronted, it's not to beat them. Yeah. That's not the goal. We're not trying to right. What would be what would be the ultimate goal? What would be the ideal outcome that we would really be wanting to? Uh, restoration of of this person, if possible, repentance, restoration, and bring them back in, and for them being to, being a healthy functioning part of the church. I'm not saying that's always possible, but what I am saying is the tendency to think that they should be destroyed now yeah. and out of the church now. That now had even if they were wrong and sinful, now I've just been I've just become sinful, and I'm adding to this. The, sinful situation. And I think it's easy to get sucked in. So if it's gossip, for example, somebody's gossiping about you, it's easy to want to vindicate your reputation by gossiping about them. And that that's just destructive for the church. So in other words, sometimes you have to step back and say, man, I'm not just going to every time try to defend, defend myself, but I'm going to step back and trust it to God. And in due time, it'll become evident to everybody in the church that they're just a gossip, right? right. And you're allowing them to expose themselves, and you try to pay back evil with good, right? Right. And it's too too easy of a temptation to sometimes get sucked into the to the to the mudslinging and things like that, and uh, and just a way that can be very destructive for the church. Absolutely, yeah. And and, and I've said this before, you know, even like at home, I think the often the model is very 
similar when I my wife and I have a disagreement. Sometimes it turns into where I'm just try, I'm now I'm trying to win. Yeah. I'm trying to be, yeah. and I'm just telling you in any relationship, if you go down that path, it's even if you win, it's not going to be productive. Right. It's not going to, and the same thing can happen at church. That's I think that's what you're saying, and I think you're saying it well. And so we have to be careful with that mentality as we go into uh, as we go into uh, trying to figure this out. Yeah. So yeah, so those are some helpful thoughts that you have. Do you have any others as you're thinking about how to how to navigate this concept of an injustice and and responding to an injustice that's happened from a church member in a church? One of the things I would say is just to try to press on and rejoice in what God is doing. Um, I think of like Matthew five eleven and twelve after the Beatitudes, as we like to call them. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you and falsely accuse you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, or even thinking about James, I have a, a distinct memory. I was teaching on James chapter 1 where, you know, James tells us to rejoice in the midst of our trials because they produce, you know, endurance and all these different things. They form us into the image of Christ. And I remember somebody come up to me after that and saying, that really means we rejoice after the trial is over, right? And I was like, well, I don't think that's actually what it says. <laughs> I, mean, I think it actually says we have to find a way to rejoice in, in the it. midst of the trial. Yeah. And so, I mean, just finding a way to rejoice in what God is doing. And, um, you know, Jesus says that, that there is a sense in which, or Paul would even talk about sort of sharing in the sufferings of Christ, as it were, that, that we're being counted worthy in a sense through faithfully enduring. But not only that, I think sometimes our opponent's just end up taking up so much of our time. We can't stop thinking about them. We're dwelling on it. It's it's what we think about when we're going to sleep and when we wake up. And sometimes I think we just have to turn our attention to the good things that God is doing um, and, and, and just rejoice in that and celebrate that. Because even if you're dealing with wolves in the church, presumably there's some faithful sheep out there who love you and who care for you. And um, so sometimes I think we just have to allow them to invest in our lives, to spend time with them. Uh, to allow them to pray for us. I mean, one of the more humbling experiences in pastoring for me has been just allowing other people to pray for me because it's sort of an implicit recognition. Not only do I need God, but I need these people too, in a sense, to help me. I mean, as much as I'm called there to minister to them, like they minister to me in a way too. And so I think that's just one of the things I would say is is we've got to find a way to rejoice in the midst of difficulties, uh, but then also uh, finding the good things that God is doing. And maybe this is just me, but I can dwell so much on the negative that it just consumes me. And, and I become a, a worse pastor to the faithful members of the church because I'm dealing with these opponents over here. There's a couple of things you said there. I was just thinking about the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, just kind of context as a whole in Matthew chapter 5, and just a couple of other thoughts off the top of my head came to mind that I think is interesting and perhaps makes your point even more. You know, when we look at those Beatitudes, there's only two that he mentions in the list that are present tense verbs. The rest of them are future tense uh, will this will be true of this person? The two are are, are verse three. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he comes back at the end and says, "Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." I don't want to go too far with this, but there it, it seems to almost be that Jesus is indicating what you were saying here in verses eleven and twelve that there's something to be said about being persecuted. Perhaps is evidence. Mm-hmm of being in the kingdom or living in the kingdom the right way now. And that maybe relates, Jesus, more here would be to external 
But I think there's just as much to say there's something internal there as well. So rejoice that God is doing that and God is working that out. Now, the other side of the, the application for me is also what's fascinating in what comes right after Verse twelve, verse thirteen through sixteen is where you've got the you are the uh, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, and this concept of letting your light so, so shine before men. Now, if you put the context together, here's what's fascinating. Uh, you go back to verse eleven and twelve. Who is it that we're to ultimately be salt before and light before? Uh, well, those that are persecuting you. Mm-hmm. That's the idea, right? Which is fascinating in that whole context. It's almost like when we hear Jesus say what he says in 11 and 12, we'd say, great, Jesus, then what's the strategy for getting away from? What's the cave we hide in? And then right after that, he says, no, be salt yeah. before them and be light before them. So all of that, I think, just lends, lends more credence. I think, I hope, Charlie, you know what I'm saying there, just lends, lends more credence to this whole context of, of rejoicing in what God is doing in the midst of this and keep doing amongst those people what he's called you to do. Yeah. I think I'm reminded of what Paul tells Timothy, you know, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. I think there's a balance there. Um, I don't you know, necessarily think that means we're going to be put to death, obviously, but there's different forms of persecution, whether they're economic persecution, gossip, slander, these kinds of things, right? Um, so, you know, we have to be careful there. We can develop this martyr complex. And like, I mean, there's a chance sometimes people are gossiping about me because I'm kind of a jerk. You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> maybe there's some truth to that. And that's why we say examine yourself. But again, I think this ties back to the first part of don't be surprised that this is the normal course of existence in this broken and fallen world that we live in. And it's part of why it points to the future so much, right? Right. We're longing for a better day. We're citizens in this land. And so we have to hold out this eternal hope Uh, to to keep the metaphor of the shepherd. I, I would say it this way. It's kind of a call not to abandon the sheep because a wolf is attacking, right? Yep. So even thinking about David and fighting that's, off that's the, great picture. You know, the bears. I mean, you know, in a sense, like if we've been called to pastor, we're going to deal with some wolves. We're going to deal with some church members who are just sinful and, you know, that kind of stuff. But we're probably going to deal with some wolves. What kind of shepherd would we be? And Jesus talks about this too, of course. If when the attack comes, <laughs> we just run away. And we leave the sheep there to fend for themselves. And again, I think that's part of the biblical metaphor. I think sometimes when people are committing injustices against us, especially if it comes from within the church, that's a call for us to double down, not against them necessarily, though they may need to be dealt with. It's a call for us to double down on shepherding those people uh, so that this person isn't allowed to destroy the church. Um, And and again, recognizing we're not put there for the sake of our reputation, but we're put there for the sake of those believers. All all those things, great points, good word there. Do you have anything else that you would kind of add there maybe to wrap up an encouragement that you would give to our listeners about how to deal with this. Yeah, I I think just kind of as we close, I mean, again, I think we're, we're so prone to take things personally. So they insult me. It's personal against me. They don't like this. Going back to our last podcast, they don't like this change I'm trying to institute. It is a recognition that sometimes when you're dealing with these wolves, they're rejecting God and not you. And so I think that's just a helpful reminder uh, to us. I I was reminded in reading through 1 Samuel of how, you know, God basically tells Samuel in relation to them wanting a king, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And so I think it's just an implicit reminder to say, look, maybe sometimes don't take everything personally, especially with these active opponents, these wolves, these ones who are seeking to destroy the church. This is a bigger battle than you and them. 
right? This is about them and God ultimately. And so in a sense, (laughs) you get caught in the middle of that, right? (laughs) So they're not actually attacking you, though in, in a real sense they are. They're sometimes attacking you and insulting you because they've got an issue with God. Even the church member who's insulting you or gossiping, that's ultimately a them and God issue. They're disobeying God and how they treat you. Um, And so I think that's just a helpful perspective for us to kind of detach ourselves from the situation and say, yeah, we're caught up in the middle of this mess sometimes, but this is really more about them and God than it is just them and me. And, And a chance for us to step back and say... I need to think about this person and their walk with God, not just restoring them to me, but sometimes even calling them to repentance and, and, and reconciliation with God. All of those are, are very good thoughts, and, and it's a good word, something great to uh, keep in mind. I just was sitting here as, as we're wrapping up and really wrapping up this first topic, and we'll be taking a break here, and I'll remind the, re- the listeners of that in just a moment until January of 2021. Uh, but but as we're wrapping up, perhaps the entire 14, 15 weeks and the topic of what is a pastor, but specifically thinking about this that you just walked us through, and we'll probably come back to this again later. It will probably come up later, and it came up in our previous podcast. But I wonder what role, what connection, being able to navigate, being able to handle injustice done against you as a pastor by your own church members and having the right attitude and pers- pers- uh, perspective towards that has towards being able to uh, have a long-tenured pastorate. Mm-hmm. And I think perhaps it's immensely connected and important to that. Just any thought there on that as we kind of wrap up today? Yeah, I-, I think sometimes if we go into a church, and again, I want to be very careful in this, but if we go into a church with unrealistic expectations— uh, it just it drives us out too quickly, you know. I mean, God, uh, God may call you to a church situation that's kind of a mess if we're being a little blunt about it, you know. And if and if your perspective is to say, I've got X number of time to implement my ideas, and if they don't listen to me in two years, I'm, I'm done gone. or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I think, but if we, if we have the perspective of say, wherever it is that God calls you, he's put me there for the sake of these people, and I'm going to do whatever I can for these people, whether they like it or not sometimes, until he calls me somewhere else. I think sometimes sometimes we have a, we, there was a uh, somebody in our wedding uh, talked about or read this kind of reading on unrealistic expectations or even unspoken expectations. And sometimes the expectations really get in the way. And, and sometimes they're really, we just have unrealistic expectations. We expect things of other people that we don't even expect of ourselves. And so, again, I want to be very careful. What I don't want people doing is saying, well, okay, you know, Charlie and Adam said, pastoring is going to be terrible and I need to be ready for that. <laughs> I mean, that's not what we're trying right. to say, but we are trying to say pastoring is dealing with people. And so it's kind of a mess sometimes because dealing with me is kind of a mess sometimes yeah. <laughs> but because I'm, I'm, I'm still dealing with my own sin. And so hopefully what we're doing is encouraging people to think about pastoral ministry a little bit different and to think about the long-term effects of pastoral ministry, some of which you won't see until maybe you're even gone on from that place. Absolutely. Service, so. That's a really good word. So again, let me just thank our listeners for being with us today and really the, the past uh, three months or so, uh, we really appreciate you taking time weekly to join us. And, and it's our prayer that this overall topic of what is a pastor has been helpful. 
and we've helped you think through that. But even today and, and the last couple where we've had this Q&A, we hope that these have added value to your ministry, value to your preparation, and have encouraged you. Again, like we've said before, this has not been intended to be. Here are five steps that you can go through, and if you just do these every time, it will turn out okay. But more from a standpoint of biblical principles that you can apply in your, uh, in your mind and in your ministry that will help you navigate some of these things. So we do really appreciate you. We hope this has been helpful to you. And just a reminder, this will be the last podcast of the semester, and we will pick back up, and we look forward to being with you again in January of 2021. So God bless you. Have a great break, and have a, have a very Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening. For more resources on pastoral ministry, visit us at faithfulpastor.com. And to learn more about training to become a pastor, visit us at nobts.edu.